plot twists, we're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. Hey, Fran, got a little, uh, little quiz, a little question for you. Hit me. What ties together the search for a ring, being lost on an island, and a love for scorpions? If I was a betting woman, I'm going to go with Dominic Monaghan. Fran, <laughs> just revealed our guest for this week yeah, without any sort I of tea I love up. it when you come in with these all like, ooh, guess who we're interviewing? And I'm like... Tom, I was literally in the interview like it's Dominic Monaghan. Yes, I know. I know you were in the interview, but the listeners don't need to know that, do they? We were teeing it up. We don't need we you to be a up. smart Alec. We just want to hear, you know, what he's been in. <laughs> we want the standard, Tom. When you introduce somebody to the ring, you, you build them up. You build up their resume. We didn't even get started. You've just revealed it. Tom, when people download the episode to listen to it, it's literally the name of the episode. So they're going to know. They know who the guest is. <laughs> I know, but you've got to build it up. <laughs> give, the, give the people what they want. Oh, uh, dear. Dominic Monaghan. So I first saw Dominic when he played Charlie Pace in Lost, which I think for Great me series. was such a defining series of my teens. It really was my favourite thing in the whole world to watch. I mean, colossal, but probably not his most famous role. I mean, Mary Brandybuck, Lord of the Rings, arguably the biggest, the greatest trilogy in cinematic history. All three films are available on now as well. Incredible. And it doesn't stop there. He's teamed up with J.J. Abrams in Star Wars. He's been in X-Men. He's done a lot in both TV and film. And he's got his new podcast called The Friendship Onion, which he hosts with Billy Boyd, who played Pippin in Lord of the Rings, his co-star. And his most recent film is called Edge of the World, which is a sort of action-led drama. He's a busy man and he's not afraid to speak his mind, much like you, Fran, and tell it like it is. So it should make for a pretty fun interview. It does sound like we've got a lot in common. Uh, so really here he does. is. It's Dominic Monaghan on Plot Twist. Welcome to the podcast, Dom. Lovely to see you. Thanks. It's lovely to see you guys too. Yeah, you know, we were just saying, actually, just before you, you joined the call, uh, there's certain people we've spoken to, like Stephen Graham, and you're like, they've done so much in their career. And then you see someone like yourself. What, what a CB. It's incredible. Well, that's very kind. I, I, I barely feel like I've got going, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm just oh, like, that. I've always been kind of unapologetically, fiercely ambitious. I don't see any shame associated with ambition. There's no no other reason for me to have got involved in this business, which is extremely competitive and constantly changing and evolving without me wanting to succeed and do work that resonates and that I'm happy with. So, of course, I love doing plays and Billy Boyd and I have been exploring doing a play for the last couple of years or so. And, and hopefully at some point in the future that will that will happen. A, a, a successful play on a nightly basis might play to a couple of thousand people, which is, which is great. But really 
you know, with the with the podcast that Billy and I are currently doing and, and with some of the films that I'm doing, you just think, well, you're in it to hit a certain number and that's what I'm there for. You know, I'm a big football fan. And for me, it's always just been like, if I was a football player, I would want to play for Barcelona or Real Madrid or Manchester United and play in the World Cup and score a, a, an overhead kick goal. Why, <laughs> there's no other reason for me to be there. Accrington Stanley's great, but it's not why I got involved in the sport, you know. So I totally appreciate the, the compliment, Tom. But to be honest, the mindset that I'm connected to is we, we, we've barely got off the, the starting blocks, really, you know. Oh, I love that. I love that. And seeing you and Billy collaborate recently, I mean, that would be one hell of a play. So, yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned uh, football there. We always start with some random questions, chance to get to know each other and see how you think. And we've kind of tailored these towards you and your passions. So, so they're a bit trivial and they get a little bit better. The first one I thought I'd throw at you is if you could have a, a lunch with either Sir David Attenborough or Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> which, which way are we leaning here? Uh, that's that's not a trivial question at all. That's a very <laughs> deep dive into my psyche. You've gone in big. Yeah, yeah. go big or so, go home. Con- congrats to you guys for doing your research. Um, both fascinating men. I think probably David Attenborough, but it would be tough simply because I think his scope is just a little wider in terms of what what you could speak about. I mean, obviously, Alex Ferguson is not just a football man. He's, you know, he loves his horses, he loves his red wine. He's obviously passionate about the world. But David Attenborough's travels around the world and the things that he's seen, I would argue, are probably mm. a little bit more of a wider scope than, than Sir Alex. I've been lucky enough to meet Sir Alex a few times, and he's a great guy. He's, he's given me some very playful, sweet, grandfatherly kind of slaps on my cheek, you know, oh, how you doing, son? How you doing, son? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, not had the pleasure of meeting Sir David Attenborough, and I think I would be a little terrified, to be honest. No, I don't blame you at all. I mean, you, you've kind of had similar experiences in the sense where you did wild things and you've gone off around the world, and, you know, so you have plenty to chat about there. Yeah, I think there'd, there'd certainly be um, some common ground between both people. I'm a massive Manchester United fan, massive football fan, huge fan of Sir Alex Ferguson's mentality and his stance. And then in terms of David Attenborough, yeah, we're, we're, we're nature fans, we're conservationists, we, we travel. But they're both significantly older than me and, and smarter and wiser. And I would hope that even though I would have a machine gun amount of questions for them, I could just sit and listen and just say, Tell me, like, you know, if you were my age again, tell me, you know. I like it. Yeah. You've uh, mentioned, I mean, friendship is a big theme with your co-stars, particularly with Lord of the Rings and and other productions as well. Uh, This one's a bit more poignant, perhaps, but what friendship of yours has impacted you the most? Well, I mean, there's a lot that obviously people don't know about. You know, I've made some relatively high profile friends over the years with, Billy Boyd and Elijah and Vigo and Ian McKellen. And, you know, I was, I was very good friends with um, Malcolm David Kelly from, from Lost and still continue to be friends with JJ Abrams. These are all high profile friends, you know. Um, 
you know, the most important friendship in my life is with a, a man called Tom, who I've known since I was nine. He was a, a firefighter in Manchester, he retired a few years ago. He now lives in Thailand with his wife. And, you know, that's probably the person that knows me the most. That's the person that I've been through the most amount of stuff with. So that's that's probably the deepest dive into friendships. My, my thing with work and connecting with humans in general is I just kind of go 100%, you know, I don't really don't really dip my foot in the water so if we're going to be friends it's it's an intense friendship that i think in a lot of ways can be quite exhausting for people you know i don't i don't think i'm the easiest person to be friends with i'm, I'm kind of i'm a little bit of an all or nothing friend i don't do a couple of weeks away not chatting to people I tr the closest relationships that i have are the people who i have an ongoing dialogue with um and i think for some people it just doesn't work you know and also my dad told me over the years, which, you know, as a teen, when I had a, when I had a much bigger social group going through college and stuff, my dad told me, you know, you'll get to a point in your life where you'll only have kind of five or six Handful, friends, yeah. really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the rest will be kind of acquaintances that you're friendly with, but not friends. And at the time, that just seemed so bizarre because I, at college, you know, I was a little bit of a, life and soul of the party and had a massive social group and friends were extremely important to me you know I was 17 when oasis hit in manchester so manchester it exploded. Well, time to be alive. <laughs> yeah well it really was you know we were we were drinking in pubs with liam gallagher um you know the, the elizabethan pub in heaton moor was a place that he frequented so when live forever came out and shaker maker and supersonic he was sat on walls with us just chatting we were going oh my god that sounds amazing like yeah yeah it's good that and yeah, we've got another one coming out in a couple of weeks you're right um so that was just crazy to watch we i wasn't in any way friends with him but i had sat and had a drink with him and chatted and you know all that kind of stuff but it is true now you know obviously billy boyd is, is an extremely close person that kind of lives in my lives in my heart you know but there's only there's only kind of five or six of those people really yeah it's interesting because you're not the first uh, person to talk about this sort of intensity of friendship. But I mean, we had Johnny Wilkinson on a few weeks ago and he said, actually, you know, that intensity, it does bring a closer emotional connection. So I do, I do get that. Yeah, I was going to say, I definitely agree with you, by the way. Like my group of friends has significantly narrowed, but actually have got so much closer over the years. And I think Tom can vouch as well. I'm very all or nothing. So I'm definitely, <laughs> yes. I'm definitely with you on that one. Um, but yeah. obviously speaking of there, sort of the, the music scene when you were growing up and we've read that you're obviously a big music fan. So I suppose our next question is, if you could go back in time to any gig in history, which gig would you go to? Um... Well, it'd have to be the Beatles because the Beatles are kind of, I went to probably some of the more significant concerts of, of bands that are around in my lifetime. You know, I saw Sigarose support Radiohead at the Hollywood Bowl, which was pretty incredible. And I saw Pulp support the Stone Roses at Sheffield, which was amazing. Saw Oasis at Hatton, uh, Eaton Park. So I have seen, I've been lucky enough to see some epic ones. I saw Coldplay before they were big in LA, played to like, I don't know, maybe 200 people on Valentine's night, which was, which was special. Oh, wow. Intimate. They, they, they were known, but Parachutes had only just started to, to make some progress. But um, I'd probably go see um, 
the Beatles placed somewhere just before Beatlemania hit, just as they were kind of turning into a thing. So maybe, you know, I know the I know they did the um, the rounds in England, you know, kind of Manchester and Glasgow and obviously Liverpool and Leeds and somewhere like that. I'd go to one of those kind of small smaller theatres with kind of you know two three hundred people and actually watch them play music instead of just show up for the hysterics you know um yeah that would that would probably be my choice what a great set of answers to our random questions <laughs> yeah, i feel yeah, like they're really it. up there with some yeah, of the best that, that we've really had good. they're great they're great questions you guys are great questions oh thanks <laughs> well, we're gonna get on to our first plot twist question now obviously you were part of Lost, which as a series itself, I mean, basically defined what a plot twist was. Of <laughs> yeah. Completely unexpected things coming out of nowhere that you just didn't see coming. So our first big plot twist question for you, I suppose, is what in your life has been the biggest plot twist so far, whether that be from sort of your career or your personal life? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Lost. I mean, you know, you know, I was... I was dating Evie for like three years and we were, you know, we were in a pretty intense relationship, which, you know, from my point of view was, was going pretty well and uh, seemed to be something that I had, you know, I was invested in moving forward and that, that just collapsed. It just exploded in a way that I was not able to <clears throat> foresee or predict and then was in the middle of a kind of relatively public, humiliating kind of public breakup where mm. you know there was a lot of this is what happened this is what happened obviously a lot of the cast and crew knew what had happened and it was you know it was a tough time for me I, I left the show not for that reason I left for you know storyline based reasons but I had to come back to Lost for three years running to a relatively unwelcoming kind of uh, oppressive working environment where uh, the scene had been set for it to turn into a workplace that Evie was at and I wasn't. And uh, so I had to kind of eat quite a lot of humble pie for like three years and walk onto a TV set and expected to do some pretty intense work when you know it kind of felt like the cast and the crew were kind of laughing at me and against me and you know enjoying the gossip of uh, a couple breaking up and uh me being on on the short end of the stick you know because I, I i really didn't want to break up but mm. you know circumstances occurred where there was no there was no situation where we weren't going to break up because you know it involved other people and you know, I wasn't going to hang around in a relationship where I wasn't where I wasn't wanted. But in terms of a plot twist, you know, I was definitely heading towards, in my mind, like, oh, we're going to, you know, at some point get married and have kids. And, you know, a three year relationship where, you know, she knew my parents well. I knew her parents well. We were very mm. tight. We were in, you know, we were in love. We, we holidayed together to suddenly you don't feature in my life and a whole bunch of other guys do instead was uh was uh, an exercise in humility and um not not a fun place to try and go work you know so mm. but also when you when you 
I mean, obviously tough to go through and, and, and a lot of trauma uh, involved with that, but I don't know. I mean, it definitely made me a better person, maybe a better actor, maybe a better artist, um, maybe more compassionate. Uh, so, you know, you have to be mindful of thanking those people that bring pain into your life because, you know, they're really helping you grow, you know. Well, that's where you get the best learnings, isn't it, really, from that trauma? Yeah, I think so. It's interesting, right? Most people, most people kind of write in their diary when, when, you know, the shit's going on. You know, you don't tend to write in your diary when life is just floating along. You're like, yeah, it's great. Mm. We're doing this, doing that. You tend to be like, oh, dear diary, this and that and this and that. And I, 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 think, I've, I think I've done my best work when I've been in pain, really, you know. So, yeah, cheers. Is there anything you think that came out of the back of that experience that might not have happened if you hadn't gone through it? Well, I mean, it, it, it put me on a course in my life that I would never have gone on. Um, I probably wouldn't have made wild things. Uh, I wouldn't have moved back to LA. Um, I probably wouldn't have done certain jobs. So in, in a lot of ways, mm. it, it dictated so many things. Um, you know, I lost a bunch of friendships. I gained a bunch of different ones. Uh, you know, obviously the relationship that I had with my ex was, you know, was not there anymore, which included her family and, and uh, her friends. So, yeah, it, it, it really changed a whole bunch of things. I think, I, I think I'd never really... I'd been through breakups before and been sad and upset, but... I don't think I've ever, I don't think I'd ever really kind of had someone like, you know, take out my heart and, and you know, hammer it and, and then give it back to me. I'd never had that experience before. So then I think I was much more compassionate to people who, had, who were going through breakups and I, and I still am or, or mm. look back on, you know, when cousins or, or, or pals or whatever had been like, oh, you know, we broke up and my, my heart is broke. I'd be like, ah, well, that's all right. Let's go find you another guy or find you another girl or let's go for a drink. You'll be all right. I didn't really understand it until, you know, you're like falling asleep on the kitchen floor and months go by and you don't know what's going on type thing. So I think, you know, I don't know. I think, I think, I think we should all go through that. I think it's helpful. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I don't think yeah. we've had a plot twist answer quite like that, actually, Fran. That was quite... Uh... No, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that was, yeah. totally welcome. Yeah. yeah, that was really quite something. Um, I guess everything that preceded that, leading up to that point, everything had been quite dandy. And, you know, you obviously been on this massive series. You've been on the biggest trilogy, arguably, ever. And, and, you, and you actually, you mentioned the Beatles earlier on. And it must have been a point with Lord of the Rings. And, and even now, I can remember at the time, the sort of pandemonium that went kind of with it. It must have almost been like being a Beatle in a way. I mean, even Hysteria. now the, the fans adore the show, but then it was just almost chaos, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And um, I think being young, you know, I was 23 when I did Rings. I think being young and, and being naive enough to just just kind of think, oh, this is what it is, it was really helpful for me. You know, Pete Jackson and I are massive Beatles fans and, you know, we collected a whole bunch of music that we shared with each other and, you know, had a lot of talks about the, the Beatles and, and we had landed in Japan for, I think the Two Towers, or it might have been Return of the King, but I think it was Two Towers. 
was with Elijah and Pete and Billy and Liv and maybe Orlando, I can't remember, but definitely Liv, Elijah, Billy and Pete. And um, the plane had landed and then some, some Japanese official came on who spoke English and there, there was only us and the rest of the Lord of the Rings kind of, you know, people on tour with us, kind of backstage helpers and stuff. And the guy said, look, we have to take you through a different part of the airport because unfortunately the airport has been overtaken by, wow. you know, the, the, the general public and it's unsafe <laughs> and we can't take you through. You won't, you won't clear customs, you know, we'll, we'll uh, get you your bags to the hotel, but you won't pick up your bags. You're just going to fly straight through the airport. And we, we obviously thought it was very exciting and, and uh, had a good time with it. And as we were ushered through the kind of, annals and the cellars of, of this Japanese airport, Pete and I were giggling saying this, you know, this is what Beatlemania must have yeah. felt like. And then suddenly we were, we were at a, a kind of cavalcade of cars and um, somehow the, the Japanese people found out that we were there and it, it just very, it became quite dangerous quite quickly. It was just the, the cars were surrounded mm. and, and we were, we were kind of, ushered in and physically kind of manhandled into these cars and you know felt like the glass was going to break and then we were driven out and from that from that point on in Japan anywhere that we went because we had all these press events to go to and, and premieres and stuff it was um it was fun but also quite scary in a way that you, you just felt like mm. the police didn't really have any control over it you know and there were moments some moments like that like with you know Leicester Square and 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 New Zealand and New York, but they felt much more manageable. You, you didn't feel like you were in any sense of danger, but in Japan, it just felt mm. like anarchy, you know. But to be honest, uh, we we all kind of <laughs> we all kind of loved it. You know? <laughs> so it sounds like there's a bit of a fine line between very exciting and quite scary. <laughs> um, I have to ask yeah. it because obviously you must have been to sort of comic cons or conventions around the franchise have you ever encountered like a super scary super fan who's exposed sort of a tattoo of your face on their body or anything <laughs> along those lines there's been there's definitely a bunch of tattoos i mean we've seen we've seen a lot of <laughs> tattoos I've, I've probably personally seen you know 15 or 20 tattoos i know billy sends me photos of, of yeah tattoos billy's billy's got a really wow. interesting one of of his face kind of pointing at himself that says fool of a tuck underneath it and it's, it's basically just him on someone's body going like that which is a, a, a wild one but um yeah I mean some people slightly lose all sense of what's what's real and what's <laughs> not yeah yeah um yeah. you know I have there was a there's a lady that's you know doing some prison time based on her attempts to interact with me which is uh not Good that much Lord. fun. No, yeah, less fun. Yeah, I suppose it just gets a little bit. Yeah, we'll easy. probably leave that there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll just we'll park that one. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Something we have actually asked on the podcast is around directors, and you've worked with two in particular that are very, uh, very much revered in Peter Jackson and J.J. Abrams. Um, latter, which you're, you know, you're still very friendly with. What is it about those guys that sets them apart? What is it that? What's it been like to work with them on set? Well. I mean, the similarities between JJ and Pete is that they're just both highly intelligent. You know, they differ in their, the way that they work and probably their preferences, although they both love the Beatles and they both love movies and they're both kind of slightly obsessive. 
But I think the, the kind of binding thing between the two of those brilliant minds is that they're both just hyper, hyper intelligent, you know, um, without being obnoxious, they're the type of people that regardless of any subject matter, when you mention it, they just happen to know the most about it and have read the most about it without being obnoxious. They're just those type of people, you know, mm. so because of that, their ability to direct, their ability to empathize, their ability to solve problems is just at a higher level than other people. They're both really sensitive people as well. So when you're adding sensitivity into that level of intelligence, they have the ability to kind of explain themselves very succinctly. So I think it's just that really, they're obsessed with film, it's their job, and they have a high quality control. You know, but they both direct quite differently. JJ keeps his set very loose and funny and he likes to tell jokes and he likes to do card tricks and he likes to play music and he likes to have guests and he keeps it all fun so that you're in a sense of play and that's great and it works. And Pete is much more kind of old fashioned in the sense that he likes things to be very quiet. Pete Jackson's sets are very quiet. You never hear anyone shout or scream. It never gets out of control. Mm. He speaks to you kind of in a whisper. He takes you to one side. It's kind of conspiratorial. He wants to kind of get into it. You know, he's, he, it's not about kind of, okay, let's get two takes and then we'll move on. He, you know, he wants to explore it. He wants to get into it with you. He's a, he's an actor's director. So they're both quite different, but the, the end results are, are one of a high, a high quality, I think. Mm. Oh, that's incredible. We, we've sort of loosely uh, uh, referred to it, but your latest project's obviously got a podcast out, got a new film out. You're a busy man. <laughs> yeah, it's felt like a kind of fallow um, year in a way. I'm sure it's felt like that for you guys too, but podcasts to a large degree can continue to happen outside of uh, the whole complications of covid you know so the fact that billy and i could get a podcast going was great because we uh, for the longest time there we thought we were going to do it remotely and then we just got to a point where california opened up so we can do it in person and then the film the edge of the world was the very last thing that i did before lockdown so i think oh, okay yeah i think i finished there november of what would that be 2019 and then I flew yeah, to Spain. It's all a bit of a blur now. Yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> um, and then I flew to Spain where my parents lived for Christmas. And then on the flight back, it was, you know, it was pretty clear that that, that was going to be my last flight for a while. And then obviously we just went through the COVID year. So it was great to have been in such a amazingly kind of beautiful and nurturing place before I spent 18 months sitting in my house watching the the paint dry you know the more i mean billy and i've known each other for over 20 years now but the more we spend time with each other and the more intense that time is um in terms of the hours or in terms of the the frequency of those hours the the better we become in terms of our ability to finish each other's sentences and read <laughs> yes. each other's minds which we've always been able to do anyway i always know well it's it's interesting with billy and i because I think we're, whatever, it's all subjective, but I think we're funny in different ways, you know, and, and, and whether people think that we're funny or not, that's, that's up to them, that's fine. But Billy's, Billy's a little bit more kind of whimsically funny and, and slightly silly. 
and I'm just a little bit more biting and cynical, but not fully cynical. And we kind of complements. We're in slightly mm. different lanes of being funny. And I know exactly what it is that makes Billy laugh and the things that he's into. And he knows the same with me. So we can always kind of walk that tightrope. Um, and again, we're, you know, we play that game of, you know, it's, it's the whole yes and game, right? Like whatever anyone says, you just say yes and this, and it just, you just keep the, the game going. You know, that's how successful podcasts work, it seems, you know. Is it yeah. something you talked about doing for some time then before you got it off the ground? Well, we, we always talked about doing something and, and we continue to. Like I said, we're, we're exploring a play that would be a really fun thing for us to do. And, and we, you know, we had a couple of film scripts half written that never fully got off the ground. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago I got sent a script, which I said to the people who sent it to me, I said, you know, you should send this to Billy Boyd. This would be way better for Billy than it would be for me. And I think over the years, Billy's done the same for me, you know. So mm-hmm. I have been listening to podcasts since probably kind of Ricky Gervais, you know, exploded in the podcast world. And then from then, you know, I'm a big football fan. So obviously I listen to a lot of football stuff, a lot of fantasy football stuff, a lot of science stuff, a lot of uh, kind of gaming stuff and, you know, science fiction things. And Billy was a little slower to the party, but I just said to Billy, look, whatever you're interested in, there will be a podcast for that. And Billy likes, you know, Billy likes Star Trek. And I said, there's going to be hundreds of Star Trek podcasts out there. Mm. And then we spend a lot of time together just hanging out anyway. And, you know, I've just constantly been saying to him the way that we talk, the way that we chat around the table and make each other laugh. If someone puts a microphone in between us, and it goes on for 45 minutes. That's a podcast, you know? And I think, I think initially Billy thought it was a, few, a bit more jumping through hoops than, than that. But um, I convinced him that it wasn't. <laughs> From watching yeah. you guys and seeing you guys on Stephen Colbert the other day, it's very clear you've got that rapport and you, can, you do bounce off each other. Um, and the podcast is brilliant as well. So yeah, I look forward to seeing more of that. Oh, um, cool. I wanted I wanted to talk about your your passion for the environment and, and where that kind of stems from because what's been nice is that you've done these huge projects uh, and then you've kind of done things more on your own terms with a show like that. What where where does that come from? Well, my, the kind of the answer that I always give, and I don't know how accurate it is or or if this is the the, the entire answer, but you know my dad studied biology at university and became a biology teacher and then became a science teacher and my brother studied science at university and became a science teacher um my dad is a very avid gardener my mom is a is a huge fan of animals and um you know we grew up watching Jacques Cousteau and Simon King and David Attenborough and and Steve Irwin and you know uh I'm relatively obsessive, especially about things that I am interested in. And uh, I just have always been interested in, in the natural world because you can never stop learning. It's a, it's a bottomless pit of information, you know. So with my dad's healthy garden and my love of animals, it pushed me into probably being more interested in in invertebrates than anything else, you know, insects and um, 
arthropods and things like that because they're inst they're instantly accessible of course i love bears and tigers and lions and it, maybe if i grew up in south africa i'd be more into those animals uh, or in kenya but um the things that i had at my disposal was spiders and beetles and ants you know and ants interestingly are my favorite animal you know so i think i just I don't know. I've always been connected to the idea and, and trying as hard as I can to to encourage other people to think about it in the same way as me, that like every single animal on the planet is is desperately trying to tell the same story that we are, which is uh, I'm trying to stay safe. I'm looking for food. I'm looking for a mate. I'm looking to keep my children safe. I'm trying to stay warm. I'm um, mm. trying to get water, you know, those, those stories are in no less significant just because they're a smaller creature, you know. So this strange kind of disconnection from nature, you know, people going, oh, an ant, oh, a slug, oh, a spider. It's like, what? Well, why? I mean, you know, they've not, well, who, who's, who decides that that's disgusting or that that's useless mm. just because of some strange story that we've that we've told ourselves you know these animals have been around for hundreds of millions of years longer than we have and uh we only base intelligence on human intelligence you know did we build a computer did we go to the moon but you know we can't even figure out food or waste or trying to slow down how we procreate sustainability and, yeah yeah so mm. i'm enamored with animals they're my heroes you know uh they're kind of my the things that I look up to and if I'm struggling in my life or if I'm having a great time in my life, invariably I find myself in nature. That's, that's kind of my safe spot. So I don't, I, to be honest, I don't, I'm not, I think there's, there's a few reasons as to why nature came into my life, but I think it's ongoing and I think I just put a lot of my energy into it. So it, it gives it back. You know, It's, it's easy when you've got that passion. Yeah. What what are some of the memorable experiences from that series? Because I mean, didn't you lose your arm at one point? You had some pretty <laughs> pretty close encounters. I mean, yeah, you weren't afraid to. Yeah, look at the scar skin, now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't really bend my arm that way, but there's a there's a big. Scar no, I can you. see. I can see that. Yeah, I mean oh, that that's really? I guess the best one. Yeah, I got I got my arm kind of ripped apart uh, by a like a nine foot monitor lizard in a forest in Thailand, which Jesus. Yeah, which was fun. Um, um, it was my fault. It's always, it's always your fault when you get bitten or stung by an animal. It's, it's never the animal's fault because you, you've eventually put the animal in a situation where it has no choice other than to it's do that. Fly, and yeah, yeah that's, that's on you. That's not on the animal. You know, you should be smart enough to not, to not do that. And the overwhelming majority of animal experiences that I had on Wild Things did not involve a bite or a sting. And then every so often, you know, you make a mistake and you're unlucky. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. There, there's so many, so many standout moments on that show. You know, we went to Komodo and, you know, I walked around those islands getting chased up hills by Komodo dragons and, you know, uh, pulled a 16 foot King Cobra out of a jungle in Bali and um, pulled a nine foot black mamba out of someone's bathroom in South Africa got chased by an African elephant that almost killed my cameraman. Um, climbed a like a twelve foot high tree and fell asleep with a like fourteen foot Burmese python in in Laos. So 
there's a there's a lot of like crazy stuff. We managed to find a spider that had never been found in in uh, science before, so I got a chance to find a new species of spider. Um, You'd have loads to speak to Attenborough about over lunch. <laughs> what was this? We have nothing to talk about. I feel well, like plenty to say. I think it's just kind of with Attenborough, you think, well, really? Am I? You feel like you can't you can't get into a competition with him. He's always going to beat you. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would feel so self-conscious kind of saying, oh, I did that. And you go, yeah, yeah, I did that 50 years ago. You go, oh, I did that too. You go, yeah, I did that 40 years ago. So, um, I'd say with anyone else, you'd, you'd absolutely blow them out of the water. But with Attenborough, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he's probably got something up his sleeve that was maybe a bit better. He's the, he's the king, you know, he's the king. And, and you have to, you have to kind of, you know, pay homage to those type of people. He's, he's the trailblazer, you know. So I don't know. Um, it's, it was an amazing show. And, and um, you know, I'm going to continue to kind of do nature shows for the rest of my life. I've just been, you know, busy doing other stuff, but it's, a, it's an incredible privilege to, to travel around the world and, and be with these animals and and try as hard as you can to just shine a light on the fact that you know as long as you approach an animal with respect more often than not they'll do the same with you you know you you mentioned at the beginning about ambition what it what, what's next for you what's what's uh obviously you mentioned the play and i've got the podcast going on films just come out but what, what are the other ambitions that you'd like to fulfill well i think billy and i definitely want to kind of try as hard as we can to create a community on this podcast where people feel like it is a safe place that they can sit down for an hour and whatever else they might be going through in their life, at least they have that hour of, of their pals kind of talking to them. And, and we think that that is special, even though it's, it's, it's hardly anything at all, but we, we think there's something to that, you know, because I think, for me during COVID and maybe for Billy during COVID, you know, it is, it is those little things, you know, obviously the, the football was not going on for the longest time, but when the football came back, you know, that 90 minutes of Manchester United playing, that was just my Zen moment to try and forget about mm. everything else that was going on. So if we can create that with the podcast, we'd, we'd be stoked. And then um, doing a play with Billy and reminding people that we are, actors and that we that we act well together and that we have a nice chemistry on stage would be really fun and then we both have our own kind of things that you know we we hope to do as i said i mean you know i am consistently generating nature shows to see if they can get off the ground and that that would be something that i would hope to do once the film industry really comes back with a with a vengeance and things are healthy again you know i'd like to go back to work and um you know i'm not a spring chicken anymore I'm, I'm 44 so i think probably in the next kind of 20 years or so you know i would have to be achieving the ambitions that i hope to set out in my acting career otherwise you know the, the clock will possibly have ticked you know well all of that i look forward to seeing oh thanks uh, dom thank you thank you so much for going on the podcast i was truly insightful fascinating all of it loved it best of luck with the podcast you know you've had a great start best of luck with the film edge of the world out now go out there enjoy it guys thanks tom thanks francesca it's great talking to you you.
huge, huge thank you to Dominic Monaghan. And you said it in the interview, Tom. It was insightful. It was fascinating. I'd also add heartwarming to the list. Yeah, definitely. I don't think we've had a plot twist answer quite like that. That was very open. We said before he would tell it like it is. And to be that open about an experience from, you know, quite some time ago was quite, um, it was interesting to be on the receiving end of, of, of that. Yeah, you could tell he was really speaking from the heart and it clearly did for him, set him on quite a specific path moving forward of understanding himself, but also as well, being able to relate to others who had gone through similar things. Yeah, it's almost that vulnerability takes you on to, to new paths in life and obviously then goes on to do wild things. And the other thing I really loved was right from the off, obviously we've spoken about the impressive resume, everything that he's done, but still has this sort of ambition where he says, I'm, I'm barely getting started. It's like, well, blind me <laughs> you know, what, what, know. what's gonna be, what's gonna be next yeah a lot of people would just say oh i've been in lord of the rings uh you know i've been chased around japan i've had hordes of screaming fans like that'll do me thank you very much feet up and retire and he's like nope not even begun there are people out there fram with tattoos of his face on their body i know and also <laughs> people doing prison time which we won't go into too much i did want to delve into that and be like can we talk about that in more detail but i thought no no we will we'll park that one and move swiftly on yeah it's definitely evident from 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 talking to him and also obviously the research we do for the interviews that the fandom that still exists for this trilogy lord of the rings is it's incredible yeah, I did have to ask that question. I just thought, I just wonder how many bodies all over the world has his face <laughs> tattooed on him. But I did like, I really like talking to him about his connections with animals and with nature. We got Attenborough in there. All great interviews should always include Attenborough. The amount of dinner should. parties that we've hypothetically had with people on the podcast. We've got Attenborough, I feel, should be at all of them. I don't think many people can say they've been attacked by lizards in Thailand and found a new species of spider. Like, Hello. Pretty epic. Pretty epic. (laughs) Really epic. And we obviously mentioned at the end about the community aspect of the podcast. We felt it between us doing plot twist. Obviously, in these times, it's been nice to sort of have these conversations with interesting people. And for him and Billy Boyd on the Friendship Onion, their new podcast, that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, it was really nice. He was talking about how he found watching sport during the pandemic, his kind of almost meditation, like it would allow him to zone out, take him to a different place where he could just sort of relax a bit of escapism really um so it's really lovely that that's his ambition for the podcast is to create a community around it and and bring people together uh, and, and give them some time to sort of immerse themselves in a light-hearted fun chat with their pals tom feels like what we've been living it feels for the familiar. Last 18 it feels, familiar. It feels it very does. familiar <laughs> <laughs> well a big thank you to dominic monaghan that is his new podcast the friendship onion All three films of Lord of the Rings are available on now. And of course, he's got his new film out, Edge of the World. It's another week done, Tom. Another layer of our own friendship onion has been peeled back. (laughs) Um, And until next week, when we look to do the same again, we will see you then. Uh